thank you for joining me for uh, on Be a Better Human podcast. And I hope that you've listened to the other parts of this series before you get to this part, because uh, this is going to be the final chapter in the series. Jesus is coming back. And I wanted to share with you something. It's five minutes. Um, I wanted to share with you where the the rapture came from, where that theology came from. And um, it's on YouTube if you want to look it up and um, hear more. This I'm just going to share this, this small section. But it's called Where Did Rapture Theology Come From? With Ben Wither, Witherington, uh, number three. Okay. And he actually uh, put this on YouTube five years ago. But it doesn't look like a lot of people have been viewing it. Uh, because a lot of people want to continue to believe in that uh, particular doctrine. But I'm telling you, um, he's given the history of how, where it came from. So I just want you to hear it from, from him because he's the one who studied it and, and came across this. But I've studied scripture itself, so I already kind of knew something was up. But I just wanted to give credit where credit's due and just let you hear um, actually a little bit more about it, about where it actually came from. So with no more further ado... Just listen in on this um, testimony from this man named uh, Ben Witherington. Let's see, I'll turn it up so you can hear. So where did dispensationalism come from? Let me tell you the story. First thing to be said about a dispensational reading of the Bible is... It didn't exist before the 19th century. In fact, it didn't exist before about 1820 or so. And it really began in a little revival in Glasgow in Scotland. And there was a teenage girl named MacDonald, a good Scottish name, um, who claimed to have a vision of a pre-tribulation rapture of the church out of this world into heaven. Now, this event might have come and gone and not left much of a mark on the church itself except that there was a certain reverend named Darby there who uh, heard this, became convinced that this theology was correct, began preaching this, and Reverend Darby uh, was one of the founders of the Plymouth Brethren denomination in the 19th century. Now again, this might have been a flash in the pan, a very small Christian sect with a peculiar belief that nobody in the first 1800 years of church history had believed in, um, except that Mr. Darby took, uh, took his gospel of the rapture to the United States. And he came in contact with the Billy Graham of his day. His name was Dwight L. Moody founder of the Moody Bible Institute and Moody Press and all of that. Moody became the sort of worldwide disseminator of this theology of dispensationalism and a pre-tribulation rapture on both sides of the Atlantic and for a very long time. And then we were off and running. Uh, What happened next is there began to be novels, not the Left Behind series, but earlier novels. One was called Jesus is Coming, written by a Chicago entrepreneur who had become enamored with this theology of Dwight L. Moody. Moody Institute founded in Chicago. He had a lot of influence in Chicago. Then even later than that, we have what is known as the Schofield Reference Bible. 
C.I. Schofield is the person who uh, came up with this idea of not merely having a study Bible with chain references in the margin, but actually putting headings in the biblical text, like Jesus predicts the rapture, and then having study notes at the bottom of the page, so that the ordinary person who buys a Bible would go, well, look, it's right there in my Bible. The heading in the middle of Matthew 24 says Jesus predicts the rapture. It must be true, right? So we're really off to the races now in the early part of the 20th century with the Schofield Reference Bible and other resources. Somewhere in the mid-20s, this lay theological movement, and I would stress this was a theological movement not based on the study of the Greek New Testament or the Hebrew Old Testament, but but, uh, a lay theological movement that spread throughout the United States and in various places around the world. Somewhere in the mid-1920s, there was a felt need to shore up this theology with scholarly support and scholarly exegesis. And so you had the Dallas Theological Institute founded in the 1920s by a Presbyterian minister. Uh, This eventually became Dallas Theological Seminary, so that you had two major centers of study of dispensationalism in America, one in Chicago and one in Dallas and both in the Midwest of the United States. Now, if you study the history of Dallas Theological Seminary and you look at the names of their presidents um, involving a lot of well-known names along the way, uh, you'll discover that most of those folks continued to propagate the gospel of dispensationalism by writing books, uh, of various kinds of books like Armageddon and Mideast Oil by uh, Professor Wolford or President Wolford. Um, and then, of course, the famous Timothy LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins series, the Left Behind series, which led to this most recent movie about a rapture and the Left Behind uh, phenomenon. What you need to understand about this is that for 1,800 years of church history, nobody believed this theology or thought it was, <coughs> was an accurate way of interpreting the Bible. Today, when we look at it, we can realize it's a relatively modern phenomenon. And as a modern phenomenon, it's, it's unique to the Western church. Uh, it's unique to certain forms of Protestantism. In other words, it's not a Catholic theology. It's not an Orthodox theology. And actually, only a minority of Protestants have embraced this theology. So what we need to say about this is that if it's not well grounded in the exegesis of the Bible, it should not be embraced. And in fact, it isn't. There is no theology of the rapture in the New Testament. So what I like to say about all this is the left-behind theology needs to be, wait for it, left behind. Okay, so I just wanted to share that with you so that you know kind of how long that has been around. That theology has not even been around. I mean, it's been around as long as a lot of us have been on the earth, but it hasn't been around as long as you think it has. Those that are even accept have accepted it. Um, I don't think they are aware of how they've been manipulated into um, accepting it. Or, or I guess I should say they don't probably know that it was a person that came up with that initial idea. And we just read in the scriptures that anybody who adds to this word 
or takes away from it is is in trouble. That we're not supposed to, you know, believe anything that we can't back up at the scriptures. So anyway, I just wanted people, I wanted you to know that before I go into the scriptures I wanted to share for today. And I do have some scriptures I want to share with you. Now, as we talk about Jesus coming back, I wanted to actually let him say it in his own words, the words of Jesus. And it's found in Matthew chapter 25, verses 31. I'm sure he can tell you better than anybody can tell you how it's going to look and how it's going to be. All right, so here we go. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. And before him shall he get, shall be gathered all nations and be and he shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divided his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the law, the kingdom prepared for you before the foundation from the foundations of the earth. I'm sorry, found from the foundation of the world is this translation. For I was and I was hungered, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. Naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we uh, hungry and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we you sick or in prison and came unto you? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto, done it unto me, of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, unto everlasting fire. Prepare for the devil and his angels. For I was a, I was hungry, and ye gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me not in. Naked, and ye clothed me not. Sick and in prison, and ye visited me not. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we... The in hungry or thirst or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you. Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye did it not to one of the least of these, ye did it not to me. And the and these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. So um this was a pretty long conversation that the Lord is speaking the whole time and he's saying how people are going to be shocked. Some people on the judgment day when he's actually dividing the righteous, um, uh, the righteous from the unrighteous, they're, the unrighteous are going to actually kind of be surprised that they're not part of the sheep because they're going to be expecting to be, um, some of them are actually going to be expecting to be in with the righteous. And we know that this is, um, I'm telling you, starting in verse 7, I mean, verse 31, it tells you when this is going to happen, and, and I'm going to start with verse 31, so you know I'm not trying to um, make this a certain event that it's not. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of, of his glory, and before him shall he gather all nations, and he shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats so this is 
the event of Jesus coming back. That this is this is what he's gonna do. Now we know also in the judgment, there's gonna be a white th- a great white throne judgment, and then people are gonna get the details of why they d- ended up where they ended up. But when he first comes, this is this is just like a dividing a dividing time, and so we know that um, there's no there's not any another event where he's gonna be dividing the wicked from the righteous. Because the um the righteous are only gonna see the great white throne judgment. I'm sorry. They're gonna we're gonna have a different judgment than the wicked. So there's not gonna be another time that the Lord is gonna come back and do and, and it's gonna be a situation where goats are mixed in with un with with um with sheep. And we know when he, he didn't do it on his first when he first came, that he he that this event didn't happen when he came the first time. So it has to be the second time that he comes and um and so i just i just wanted to i just wanted to make it plain for you i mean i I don't know how much how much more i have to share um if it's not becoming crystal clear at this point that the rapture is not is not in the way that we have been um talked to by most pastors in a lot of these churches because i hear a lot of pastors that i respect i'm not going to name any names but I actually kind of respected them. But then when they said, well, I'm ready for the rapture. I hope you're ready. And I'm like, what? You too? Like, where are you getting this from? Are you guys getting this from your seminary schools? Um, you have to, you're not getting it from the word of God. But if they went to seminary, which most of them have had to pass through seminary. And I just gave you the history of how um, this this uh, message was spread. Because the people that had influence, they were the moody uh, foundation or you know like they have a lot of influence in the schools in this in the seminaries and things like that but just because they have that influence and they used it to their advantage doesn't still make it true so i'm just i'm just hoping and praying that you you um you you are in prayer when you are listening to this message or uh, that you research this this out you know, um, for yourself. And sometimes that's the only way people can really, um, accept something is if they discover it and it, and it becomes true for them because they are the ones who actually researched it out and, and, uh, found it out and just hearing it from somebody else is not going to, you know, convince them. And that's fine with me. Cause I, I hope that, st- I hope this does stir you up to, to challenge something, um, challenge that idea because the main thing I'm hoping to invoke in you is not frustration or anger or anything like that. What I'm trying to hope to to make you think about it and think about does the scriptures ever really say that that's how the Lord is coming back and and that he's going to do a secret, a secret return. And then he's going to come back a third time. Cause that means that he would have to come back three times according to this secret rapture being the case. And and in and even in the secret rapture, um these events that the scripture is saying, they didn't happen in that way. Because okay, so he comes back and secretly takes the sheep. But then why are the sheep saying, Oh Lord, when when do we do this for you? And there's a conversation that happens between the Lord and the sheep. And then there's another conversation that happens between the goats and the Lord. So it's it's to me it looks like a public it's it's a public dialogue that everybody's in on not a quiet secret rescue 
of only the people that are really ready to go and then the people that aren't ready to go are left behind and I mean it's just it's just it's just not that it's just not that at all people and um and I'm looking forward to um now moving on to another topic because I I feel like I have talked on this topic as much as the Lord wants me to talk on it but I I pray that um this this blesses people and that people um are going to truly look within themselves, search their hearts and find out why do you want to, why do you want so bad for something to be true? If it's just not, if it's just clearly not true, you know, if it's clearly not found in these, in this, in the word of God, and it's something that maybe your preacher has told you and told you for years. And so now it's something that you kind of blindly accepted without really questioning, but just because I'm not your pastor doesn't mean that I'm wrong, <laughs> that I'm wrong. You know what I'm saying? And so I, I'm just saying I'm not, I don't care if you think I'm right or wrong. I just want you to search your heart, truly search your heart and see why, why can't I let go of this doctrine? Is it because I'm, I'm truly afraid of persecution? I, I, I really don't um, think I can withstand persecution and and if that's and if that's what it really is, then the Lord can help you with that. The Lord can help you with that. But if you're just gonna continue holding on to something, and there's no real biblical way to um, back that up, then you you know it's 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 very very scary. I think that's a scary place to be in. I think that's a scary place to be in because people can make mistakes. You know, people can make mistakes, but on certain things like this, um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to accept something blindly like that. That is so serious. This is too serious of a topic to not be sure. And, um, and so I'm, I'm hoping, uh, that, like I said, that, uh, that as I end this, this series on this particular topic, that, um, you know, I'm coming from a heart of not arrogance or pridefulness or anything like that. It's truly out of concern because I'm I'm running into too many people that truly have been holding on to that doctrine. And I, I just don't think it's a healthy theology because it's not biblical. And anything that that is not biblical, it's a lie. You know, it's 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 a it's another form of deception. And so I, I don't want us to be deceived on something like this. I want us to walk in truth and, and, um, and allow the Lord to, to open up our understanding if we need understanding in this area and on this particular topic. So I'm going to go ahead and end in prayer. That's what I'm being led to do. So I'm going to go ahead and end in prayer. Okay. Before I pray though, I wanted to share some information that I think would be very interesting. It's very interesting regarding the mark of the beast and regarding the number six. And I get, I'm getting out of this book called numbers that preach uh, by Troy Brewer. And, um, he basically says six in the, in the body of man, there are six major members in the human body, head, torso, two arms, and two legs. And then he said that everybody contains approximately six quarts of blood. And then he said the um, the number six, of course, as we know, even in in, um, in the Bible, he says the number six belongs to man. Six days for man to labor. Exodus 29 through 10. Six days belong to man, but the seventh is to the Lord and to his rest. 
The whole understanding of rest from God's perspective means he rules and his has permanence over things created. Man could sow the land for six years, but the seventh belonged to the Lord, and they had to let it rest. And then, um, here it goes. So you see, there it is again. Six years the land belonged to man, but the seventh again belonged to the Lord. Why? Because the number of six belongs to man. Theologians will tell you that there are seven dispensations in the Bible. Man is in control, or at least he thinks he is. Of six of those dispensations, the seventh dispensation, the millennium, is where there is no question that the Lord is in control. And so I wanted to um, share those dispensations with you real quick, too, because I thought this was really cool how he broke this down. The first dispensation was innocence. This was from the creation to the fall, man's fall. Then the next one was conscience. The next, that was the next dispensation from the fall to the flood, which was man's. Human, and then the next dispensation was human government. This was from the flood to the call of Abraham. And then uh, the next dispensation was the promise. From the call of Abraham to the giving of the law at Sinai for, under Moses. And then the next dispensation was man again. It was the law from, from Sinai to Calvary. Then the, la then the last one that was man's was grace from Calvary to the kingdom. And then so the seventh dispensation, which will begin as soon as Jesus comes back, is the kingdom. And that's the thousand-year reign of the Messiah. Hallelujah, which is God's. Hallelujah. And so I just wanted to share that. And the last thing I'm going to share is that he points out that um, the man in Romans. The book of Romans has the word man in its title. And it is, and it is no coincidence that it's the sixth book of the New Testament. Man is the sixth word in Romans six six. God answers to the God's answer to the flesh is the cross. Man is the sixth word in the total of six verses in Romans, and then he says uh, Romans six six says, knowing this that our old man is crucified with him, and that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Draw your own conclusions, but the pattern of man in six is amazingly powerful throughout God's word. And so, um, I just wanted to share that with y'all. Please be in prayer about everything that I have said in these, in these, um, in in this series that I've done because I'm I'm truly doing it from a spirit of of excellence. I wanted to make sure the Holy Spirit was speaking. I was trying to not get myself involved in any of it. I was trying to leave it only to the scriptures to speak. So please, please be in prayer. And on that note, let me go ahead and, and go to the Father. I thank you, dear God, for anyone that has listened to any part of this series of Jesus is coming back. I thank you, dear God, that you have been faithful to my family, that you've been faithful to allow me this time in prayer and this time in consecration. I thank you, dear God, that you are coming back. And I thank you, dear God, that you have a place that you have already prepared for those who truly love you. I pray, dear God, that we can understand and, and, and open our hearts and our minds to the truth, dear God, and allow only you to penetrate what you have for us. And I know that, that, is, that your will will be done in each of our lives and that you have purpose and plans for all of us. And I just thank you, dear God, for being the good God that you are. And I just thank you, and I love you so much. And I pray for everlasting unto everlasting that you're, your um, will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
And thank you, dear God, for this daily bread. We thank you, dear God, for everything that you're doing. We thank you and we praise your name. We lift you up and we we don't depart from your presence at any time because you're always close. And in Jesus' precious name, in the name of our Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Don't forget to be a better human, y'all. Much love.